Charged Up Episode 72. This is the year I get my financial life in order with John Schwartz. Are you ready to get charged up about your money, your credit, and your overall financial health? You've come to the right place. You're listening to Charged Up with Jenny Hoff. Welcome to Charged Up. I'm your host, Jenny Hoff, and a managing editor with CreditCards.com. We are, in addition to advice on utilizing your card rewards, we also have advice on managing credit card debt, avoiding high interest fees, and getting your card strategy in order. Well, our guest today decided to get his whole financial life in order, probably something many of us vow to do every year and then, of course, find something more fun to tackle. Well, John Schwartz, a science writer for the New York Times and a business humor columnist, said no more waiting. He took 12 months to tackle his financial life and came out at the end with a solid plan for retirement, a will that his family could understand if needed, a health insurance plan that would help prevent financial disaster, and a sense of freedom without the weight of a disorganized financial plan on his mind. So if this is the year you want to make that change, then let's get charged up about finally getting our financial lives in order. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, happy to be with you. So let's start with your background. You're a science writer for The New York Times, but you wrote a book on finance. How did that happen? Well, you know, it's not that I've only had one beat my whole life. I've done a lot of beats. I've shown up in pretty much every section of the paper. And while I've been a science writer, I also continue to write a humor column for the business section in its mutual funds and ETF quarterly. So I've been writing a humor column for them for quite some time. But I've also been a business writer both at the Washington Post, Newsweek, and here at various times. And a lot of the stories that I do, Mm -hmm. even on climate change, have a business side. So I've never really moved out of the business realm. It's just that there's a lot of science in there as well. Right. And this book, though, has to do with your own experience of getting your financial life in order. And I think that's probably a statement many of us make uh, at the beginning of the year. We say, this is the year I'm going to get my financial life in order. And you finally made that statement to yourself. How did that come about? What was leading up to that? Well, we were in a good spot. That is, uh, my wife had convinced me that we needed to sell the house we'd been in for 15 years. And that wiped out a fair amount of debt. It got us out of our credit Mm -hmm. cards. It got us free of the college debt for our first two kids, for our older two kids. And we had a little breathing room. And at the same time, I was in my mid-50s. And I thought, my God, you know, retirement, whatever that is, is is kind of in sight now. Mm -hmm. And so the worries about what's going to happen were growing. And at the same time, I realized that we were, you know, close enough for it to be a big worry, far enough away still, so that if we needed a course correction, we could do that. Mm -hmm. And so basically, fear overcame sloth. (laughs) So you woke up, you guys, and was it selling your house that finally made you take a look at your financials, kind of having to go through paperwork? or, Or did you wake up one day and say, hey, I'm 55, I need to get my financial life in order? What was it that kind of triggered it? I would say the real trigger was that I knew I was late, but I saw the opportunity to turn it into an assignment. Now, mm-hmm. this sounds silly unless unless you've been a working journalist, in which case you understand right. that I don't really learn much about something unless somebody is putting a deadline in front of me and telling me to do it. And so what I realized was we had a supplement coming up, a special section of the paper in which I would be able to write a piece about assessing our retirement hmm. and uh, looking to see whether the three legs of the stool of retirement, pension, social security, and 401k savings were going to be able to support us adequately 
in retirement, mm-hmm. whenever retirement would happen. And so the trigger, along with this sort of existential dread, was the idea that if I got somebody to give me an assignment to do it, I would work through it. That if I had an mm-hmm. editor waiting for copy, I would do it. And right. so that's what I did. I wrangled the assignment. I did the story and it showed up in the New York Times. And so for people who don't write for the New York Times, it's mainly mentally giving yourself that assignment, saying by this time, I need to have a folder put together that shows everything, where my assets are, where my investments are, what my insurance plans are and everything like that. That's exactly right. You know, I, I mean, we all have our magic feathers, right? If you remember Dumbo, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the magic feather that'll, that'll help us fly. My magic feather is I need an assignment, but mm-hmm. other people might just be able to say, this is it, this is time, or set themselves a deadline, or simply hit that panic point that I did and say, it is really time to do something. And talk a little bit about what your financial life had been up to that point. Were you contributing regularly to a 401k, kind of not really paying total attention to it, but you had some taken out? Were you investing actively? Were you buying insurance plans? What was your financial life kind of leading up to that point? Well, I was one of those people that didn't like to think about money at all, a little money phobic. At the same time, in my 20s, I had realized that a 401k is a really good deal Mm -hmm. because my employer was going to do a match. And if I was buying into a stock fund, the stock market tends to rise. And so at the moment in my 20s, when I got a nice raise, a more than 10% raise, I was able to just automatically put 10% away and tell the system to just keep taking that 10% out every year. Mm -hmm. And I chose some funds, you know, a little better than dartboard choice, but not really very intelligently, but at least I had some funds going. And then I did my best to forget about it. Right. I did not actively invest. I was not choosing individual stocks. I was not trying to play market timing when things went down. I wasn't going into the Vanguard site and moving my assets around because I had pretty much learned over time that I'm never going to be a market maven. Right. And if I try to do timing, I'm not that good. You know, I mean, there are people who are that good and God love them. I mean, go out there and and make a million bucks. But I always had the sense that if I tried to play the market, the market would play me. That's advice that I hear from a lot of financial experts. Just put your money in and leave it there and forget about it. And you're going to see that grow exponentially over time. So you did the exact right thing. Were you doing anything else to kind of control your finances? Or was that basically your kind of financial plan? I'm going to stick this in a 401k and then go about my life. That was the good thing I did. I also tried to buy real estate. You know, I I tried to have a home and make money off a home. And the first time we did that, it ended in utter disaster. We bought an apartment in New York. We thought we were doing everything right. It turned out that we didn't really understand the market and we were buying close to the top of a rising market. Mm -hmm. And then when the water went out, I got an opportunity to work in Washington, D.C. And we were stuck with an apartment that was, for all practical purposes, unsellable. Oh, wow. Banks wouldn't loan on the on the building because it wasn't sufficiently subscribed as a co-op. These are all rules that sound arcane today. They were mm-hmm. arcane then. But, you know, if you're going to plunk down your life savings mm-hmm. and then put a chunk of your income into something, you'd better know stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I didn't because I thought you can't go wrong in real estate. Well, okay, after 2008, we know you can. Mm-hmm. In, in 1993, 94, 95, it was a little ethereal proposition. And, and, uh, and I, you know, had the confidence of youth and, uh, and I messed up and we ended up losing that apartment. Mm. 
Yeah. And I think that's a very good point because a lot of people I know had that same mentality. You can't go wrong in real estate. They know people who, who've made a lot of money that way. And I live in a hot market like Austin and people think you can't go wrong. Just buy places. It's going to go up in value. But like you lived in New York, right? I mean, it just shows that, yeah, unless you kind of know what you're getting into and all the expenses involved and the rules and everything like that, you can end up losing a lot of money. How did you dig yourself out of that? Well, part of the reason we lost the apartment was not just that we were stuck paying the mortgage and maintenance on that apartment and we were paying our rent in Washington, D.C., where I'd moved, but we also had a tenant who was, you know, there to help us defray the cost of the place and he stopped paying and he refused to leave. And that's what really killed us on that. Once we were out of that apartment, before we ended up having to give up the apartment, we were able to buy a house in the Washington, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. We found a, a very inexpensive house. It was a mess, but again, we were able to get it fixed up some and found a great handyman who basically lived with us for <laughs> quite some time and you know did great things in his own way. And bit by bit, we got the house not just livable, but really nice. Mm -hmm. And when we sold that house six years later, when we left Washington to come back to New York for my job at the New York Times, we doubled our money on it. So wow. that was the beginning. Until we did that, we were really struggling. Our savings were gone. Mm -hmm. um, we were dealing with the kinds of problems that everybody has, right? Two kids who mm -hmm. needed orthodontia, a boiler that went out in this 1927 house that was, you know, I mean, these things are, are great, but this thing was the size of a Buick and it came with the house. Yeah. And when it went out, it was time to buy a new one. Well, that's thousands of dollars. You can't just shiver in the dark. Right. So each of these things, some of it we did with credit cards, some of it we did in other ways, but, but we were living paycheck to paycheck and things were very, very tight. Our kids were in public schools, but we made sure that we sent them to summer camp in the summer which, mm -hmm. you know, many people might say that's a stupid way to go, but we knew we weren't going to take an expensive vacation. Yeah. We knew we weren't going to you know, take the family somewhere great. We didn't want the kids to miss out. Right. And so I was eating, you know, like French fries and gravy in my company cafeteria for two bucks. Wow. But we made sure that we were able to send the kids to their summer camp so they got to do things and have fun. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, during that time, we weren't much fun to be around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we did we did the things, you know, in the book, I quote the singer-songwriter Robert Earl King, who's got a great song called Dreadful Selfish Crime. And he talks about finding things to do that we could do for free. <laughs> and we did a lot of that. And in Washington, D.C., in the 1990s, there were a lot of things to do that you could do for free. So you got creative. You know, including, the, the, yeah, the best museums in the country, right? Some yeah. of the best museums in the country. So we had a good time. It's just that there just wasn't extra money and things were very tight. That eased up a little bit when we were able to sell that house. And so then you moved to New York and fast forward to you deciding to get your financial life in order. Where did you start? What did you say? Okay, this is what I'm going to tackle first because I think it's the most important. And did you decide to call a financial advisor? In the book, you mentioned how you were a little wary of financial advisors because you weren't sure if they were going to try to push products on you that maybe weren't in your best interest, but rather in their best interest. So how did you kind of navigate that to get started? Well, just to get started, I, you know, all my, all my assets, because the, the, three publications I've worked for all put me in Vanguard funds. I went to the Vanguard site and they had an assessment tool. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. for retirement. And after I had to move some things around to make it all show up, right? Because mm-hmm. the stuff that I had from the Washington Post company weren't showing up in my New York Times account. It's, you know, you do a little rollover, you mess with this, you mess with that. Once all the funds were in one place, I was able to work through their worksheet and see that, okay, if I stayed working until the age of 70, here's hoping. If our funds continue to go the way that they appear to be going, here's hoping. Mm -hmm. If nothing horrifying happens, here's hoping. Mm -hmm. Then we will be able to survive living with less money than I make now, but probably an acceptable amount. Okay. Which is sort of what you look for in retirement, right? You're not... You're not looking to travel the world and go to casinos. You're looking to be comfortable. Right. I mean, unless you're the financial genius, again, go out and do that thing. But if you can make 70, 80% of your income off of the three legs of the stool, then you're doing great. Mm -hmm. And conceivably, you don't, you know, you're not having those expenses that you were having before. You're not paying for stuff like your kid's orthodontia. So you did your assessment. And you found that you were in a good place? You were prepared for retirement? What did you find? We found that we were in a reasonably good place. That mm-hmm. is, we, we don't hit the lotto, but we are going to be able to survive. As Gene put it, yay, we're not eating cat food, you know, <laughs> which, is, which is great. That's sort of where you want to be. Right. Along having done that, I realized that that was really only the first step right. in getting our financial life in order, that the retirement is a big thing, but it's not the only thing. And that's when I came up with another assignment. The idea was, well, if I treated this as a year-long project, and if I went through the steps of doing other things like finally getting a will and making sure my health insurance was right and making sure that our life insurance is in order and, and just learning the sort of things that I hadn't put the brain work in to learn before, then I could structure a book in a way that somebody else reading it might do the same thing, might be able to follow me and what I did and do it for himself, do it for herself so that it's not just a memoir. It's not just what I did, Mm -hmm. but it's what I did and how you can do it too. Mm -hmm. In the hopes that people who are like me, a little money phobic would say, well, this isn't impossible. Mm -hmm. It looks like a pain, but that moron did it. Maybe I can. <laughs> and, you know, it, you it took you gave yourself a year to do it. So it wasn't like, OK, this weekend I'm going to get my financial life in order. It was this year I'm going to get my financial life in order. And so you took your time. You had a full time job. You have a family. You have things going on. But little by little, you started organizing it, which I think is an easier chunk to chew on than trying to just get everything done in a couple of days and giving up because it's 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 kind of confusing. What did you find? OK, first talk about drawing up your own will, because I find that hard to stomach. You know, it is money's tough to talk about. I think wills might even be tougher. Or you don't like thinking about death. You don't like thinking about <laughs> right. dying. Oh, gee, why is that? <laughs> and you almost feel like say, if you get a superstitious about it, oh no, what if I write my will and then that's it? You know, like, you know, somebody up there thinks, okay, she's good to go. Her kids are taken care of. So it is one of those things that I think you play tricks on your mind with it. Logically, you know, you better do it. Why would you want your assets being held up in court or it not going to where you want it to go? But I think it's even tougher to do. So how did you get started on that? How did you stomach that and then get started on that? Well, Look, when you do the financial assessment of retirement, the first question on a lot of these forms is, when do you plan to retire? And that's like, oh my God, I never thought of that. I don't want to think of that. When you think Mm -hmm. about retirement, then you're thinking about all that stuff that comes after retirement. And then 
right down the road from there is another question that says, how long do you expect to live? Which is, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And, 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 you know, let me check my calendar, right? <laughs> Except that you can sort of know what your parents, you know, their parent, your parents' lifespan, you know what your family is like, you know what your vulnerabilities are like. You can sort of guesstimate how long you might live. Mm-hmm. All of those, those exercises that I did in the very first step, which took, you know, weeks, by the way, because I was gathering all the information from my pensions and everything else. It took a couple of weeks to get all those numbers together. All of that got me over the hump. Once I was over that hump, once I had, in my half-assed way, answered the question, how long do I expect to live? Then mm-hmm. I could move on to what happens when I die. Mm-hmm. And it just, I had just, like you were saying before, a chunk, the first chunk was just considering death at all. Mm-hmm. From there, the next chunk was, okay, what do we do about death? And knowing that it was time and knowing that we have a house that's going to be worth some money, that we have these you know, these 401k funds yeah. that will be distributed, we want our kids not to have to deal with probate and all that mess while yeah. grieving. Right. So, you know, once again, what gets you over the hump? Well, considering the needs of others really helps. Mm-hmm. And having taken that first step really helps. Mm-hmm. And I looked at a few of the will programs, the sort of do-it-yourself things, and I thought maybe our stuff is a little more complicated than mm-hmm. that. But even more than that, it sort of went right up against my money phobia, all my phobias. And so I started asking friends, who's a lawyer? Who did your will? And one of the friends had a guy that he just thought was terrific and, uh, and it was very helpful. And I called the guy, and he was kind of charming and funny, and, uh, but also very much about his business. And after having talked to Gene, my wife, about it, we said, well, why don't we go with him? I had earlier sort of looked around at using the internet to find lawyers who were, who did wills only and who were in yeah. like upscale areas and downscale areas. And, and she said, why are you doing this when you, you just need to ask your friends who they like? Yeah. And she was, as always, you know, as always, my wife was smarter than me. <laughs> and, and she so, was right. And so I called her and she was right. And the guy was terrific. He brought us into his office. He told us what it might cost, but what it would probably cost. He walked us through things. He told us what would make it cost more. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to come back? You can come back every week and change this. Yeah. It's going to cost you. But he was very honest about where this was going to take us. And we had one wrinkle of uh, hoping to get uh, a trust in place for one of our children. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I understand that. And we talked about that. And he said he would set that up. And a few weeks later, we had both a will for me, a will for Gene, medical directives, medical power of attorney, all the things that help you determine your end of life care mm-hmm. if bad things happen, which you really should do while you're doing your will. Why not? And all of it with a summary that was actually in English for each of us. Right. And, uh, and we were able to go in inside and look, Jean hated this process. Yeah. She just, she said, I just, you know, no wonder people don't want to do this death, death, death. You know, she, I mean, it was unpleasant, but we were strapped in, we rode the ride and at the end we had two wills that are good. Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be done. And every single financial advisor I've talked to, it says they say you just need to do it. You don't want to give that money away to lawyers or to the state or anything like that. Just just get it done, especially when you have children or people who love you who are going to have to handle that for you. 
Well, exactly. And, you know, and we held on to one with the lawyer. Uh-huh. You know, the lawyer's holding on to one. We've got some at home. We've told the kids where to find it. You don't want to spend all that money and have the thing not be findable. Right. You got to get it organized. Okay. So you did that. What would you say were the four like topics, the biggest financial subjects that you had to deal with? Was it your 401k, getting a will in order? What other big things do people need to tackle to really get their financial lives in order? I think it's a really good idea to assess where you are in terms of, yes, your, your retirement stuff. Yeah. Yes, your will. But also, you've really got to take a hard look at your life insurance. Where do you stand? And are you, do you have enough? In fact, by the time you're in your late 50s, early 60s, maybe you need less than you thought. But mm-hmm. you should be looking at that. Take a look at your health insurance. Do you have enough insurance to cover you? Insurance is expensive. It's irritating. But having a medical emergency that you can't pay for is catastrophic. Right. So you got to look at that closely. And you got to sort of do the numbers as a consumer in the same way that you would look at the financing on a Honda. you mm-hmm. got to say, okay, here's a high deductible, but lower payments. Or here's higher payments and a lower deductible. Right. What's likelier to happen to me? Okay, get hit by the bus, all bets are off. Right. But if I've been relatively healthy, I might be better gambling a little bit and you know, getting the higher deductible and paying that and just using all this to forestall catastrophe. Yeah. But the point of the book is to give people the introductory ideas that they need to then move forward, to find someone to help them with advice, to, you know, to, to help to find an investment advisor too. Mm-hmm. If that's what you want, you know, the kind of questions you need to ask to make sure that somebody's working in your best interest. Yeah. Because if you need advice, you don't want that person to cost you money. You want that person to help you make money. What were the three biggest lessons you learned during this experience? Well, the first lesson, the most important lesson is you've got to start early. The thing that made everything work for us is that in my 20s, when I had a job that had a 401k plan, I got in and then forgot about it. And as I moved from job to job, just kept that 10% going. Mm-hmm. Starting early is absolutely essential. And, you know, but starting whenever is essential. So you know, the first step, the first big lesson is to start. The second big lesson is to stick with it. Don't panic and decide, well, I, you know, the stock market is going down. I'm going to stop contributing for a while because are you going to remember to contribute again? Yeah. Keep it going if, you know, if possible in a consistent way. And then the third is to more than what I did, Look at where you are. Do it every once in a while. You should be looking at your will every five years to make sure, like if the law changes, that you're still that you're still covered. If your family composition changes, you're still covered. Look at that insurance. If your health insurance expires at X year, and then you've got to do like another term, like you know, then you're going to spend a lot more money if you don't buy ahead in a larger chunk, five years, ten years, if you can. Making those decisions and looking at them with eyes open is the way to go. Absolutely. How did you feel when you finished at the end of that year and you had gotten everything in order that you needed to get in? Well, I was relieved. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I, I, I didn't feel that I'd made myself a genius. I didn't made myself all that smart, but I had learned what I needed to learn mm-hmm. to take action. And so instead of sitting there with the fretfulness rising, I was doing things small chunks, one at a time, working through this year. At the end of the book, at the end of this is the year I put my financial life in order, I do like a 12-month plan to help people figure out how they want to do it. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, once again, getting started, the sense of relief that was at each one of these steps, having a will, we were done. Right. <sighs> Finally, you know, just checking through each one of these things. It doesn't mean that life is grand. It doesn't, you know, we're not going to be in great shape in retirement. We're just not going to be in bad shape in retirement. Right. And I've added to our contribution for a 401k using my uh, older age catch-up limits to, yeah. you know, to do a little more of that, you know, which is the important thing about looking back and looking forward. But that sense of relief comes from finally having actually done something instead of living in that state like you are in the middle of the night when you sort of wake up and think, that thing, I need to do that thing, I need to do that thing. Yeah. And what did you find made it easier to do it? It was the assignments for you. But if you were recommending to somebody else, would it just be, I guess, using your checklist, but organizing it into these chunks and say, okay, this month I'm tackling the 401k. I'm going to figure that out. Next month, I'm going to figure out our will. The month after that, I'm going to figure out our health insurance. How would you recommend that people get organized before they start? Well, first of all, you do have to get organized. You have to figure out what the chunks are that you need to go after. But I'll tell you the thing that you want, the thing that motivates you, is the thing that motivated me beyond having an assignment. It was that rush of having actually done one of these things that I've been putting off forever. Procrastination is a very fretful state. Mm-hmm. You, you worry about whether you've done enough, whether you, you know, when am I going to do this? And it just sort of hangs on you like a weight on your shoulders. And once you start taking care of the chunks, mm-hmm. you feel that lift. And it's a great feeling. I mean, this is, you know, when, when Dave Ramsey, the multimedia phenomenon on, yeah. on debt reduction, talks about the snowball method and getting rid of your smallest debt first. He says, then you get rid of that first debt. It's fabulous and it's addictive. Yeah. Right? And the, when you start to do it, you want to do more of it. And what I'd hope is that if people do the first chunk and really feel good about that, they'll want to take care of the rest of it. I tell you, you really breathe easier when you've got that will done. Yeah, it's true. Okay, you're like, if all else fails, at least if something happens to me, nobody else is going to have to deal with this mess that I've already dealt with it for them. We have to wrap up now, but I always like to ask my guests the last question. Our show is called Charged Up. What gets you charged up about helping people finally get their financial lives in order? Well, I'll tell you, the great thing is over the last few months, the book just came out this month, but when... I would tell people I'm writing a book and they would say, well, what's the name? And I said, this is the year I get my financial life in order. So many people said, oh my God, that's exactly what I need to do. And knowing that this project was hitting people where they lived, Mm -hmm. knowing that this might be the motivation for people who really don't want to buy a personal finance book, Mm -hmm. you know, and sweetening it with our, our personal story, which is, at least entertaining in a sort of schadenfreude kind of way. <laughs> you know, the things we did right, the things we did wrong. If I can get people off the dime, if I can get people to really think about these things and pick up a book that they otherwise would avoid, then, you know, that's a, that's a fantastic feeling. That would get me totally charged up. Absolutely. Well, you have, and your book is entertaining and you're a great writer, obviously. And I think that, you know, it's nice to listen to somebody who isn't necessarily living and breathing investments day and night, but you are part of it. And you went through this process. You know what the process is like. You dealt with the fear of having to deal with money and you came up the other end and you succeeded in it. And so I definitely recommend people check it out, especially if you have a little bit of a fear of dealing with money. You're not alone. Thank you so much, John, for making time to talk to us today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. 
And thank you for joining me for this episode of Charged Up. I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe so you're alerted as soon as a new episode is up. If you have questions you want me to answer on air, please send an email to chargedup at creditcards.com. To read the full transcript for each episode and access even more great financial information, head on over to creditcards.com. Until next time, get charged up about your financial future. Oh,